Hey James, I finally found that stinky old boot! James? That's weird, James always loves my stinky old boot. Hey, my phone's all green. Ah, <laughs> I probably dropped it in the silly putty again. Which reminds me, James? Stinky? Green boot? What? Oh, oh, it's you that's making my phone green. Just wait a second, I'll, I'll go grab James. You are required for Command Zero. Command Zero? Oh, like that time that you took James on his own. Wait, I, I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. And my boot? Initiate transportation sequence to broadcast station. No, no, no! Let me at least drop my boot! <laughs> Um, welcome to the Get Commanded podcast. It's the GCP brought to you by POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. Uh, we're all uniting forces to help you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt, and I'm on my own. I've been properly kidnapped from uh, my peaceful place with my boot. Um, <laughs> I'm off in space somewhere. Uh, I think I know why, but just to be sure, let's uh, let's find out what's in, in store for me here. I have an incoming transmission from the deep depths of the galaxy, from the Space Commanders. It's time to get commanded. Walt, alongside James, you have advocated for adherence to the Rule Zero conversation and have provided guidelines to ensure balanced games of Commander. We require robust examples of these deck descriptions for our database. Provide Command Zero for the deck helmed by Catilda and Leah. Okay, so basically, for those of you who are new to this one, the Space Commanders want to understand Rule Zero better. They've got this obsession with Rule Zero. They're always trying to talk to us about it. Um, and they want to learn it through the lens of one of my decks. So basically, I'm going to give the absolute best Rule Zero description I possibly can for my Katilda and Leah Commander deck. Um, of course, it's not going to be a one-to-one -one representation of how I would actually conduct a Rule Zero conversation if I was in a game with someone, because I wouldn't want to bore them to death uh, with, you know, 20, 20 minutes, I suspect, of description of exactly how my deck wins and all that kind of thing. Uh, you can imagine that in an actual Commander game, I would give the same structure and the same things I would say, but I would say it in a much more condensed fashion. So it's sort of like a guide, I hope, for you out there for how to conduct your Rule Zero conversations by seeing how I would do one of mine in massively um, expanded format. But before we get to that, um, I think we should just do a quick refresher on Rule Zero itself. So it's otherwise known as the pre-game discussion. Um, and it's worth noting here that the Commander Rules Committee's description of Rule Zero, if you go to the their official, um, you know, official Rules of Commander and the official Commander Rules Committee page, 
they describe rule zero as the place where people discuss whether they would like to bend the rules of Commander to unban cards or just otherwise change the nature of the way that Commander's being played. The reason it's rule zero is because it happens at the very beginning of the game and also that it's basically like their way of saying Commander is what you make of it. You can decide how you would like to play Commander at the very beginning of the game. You can do whatever you want. Every rule that we give after this one is just a guide and you can decide how you'd like to adhere to those if you'd like to adhere to those at all. However, we use the term rule zero in the same way that most of the player base does and probably the way that you've heard it out there, which is that rule zero is this catch-all term for everything you talk about before the game starts. So it includes whether illegal cards are being played, um, and it includes a description of proxies if people are using them, um, deciding how people are going to mulligan, whether they're going to use the regular rules or their own specific mulligan. But most importantly, it includes a discussion of power level. And this is usually when people say, let's have a rule zero, they mean, let's describe power level. Let's decide what kind of a game we're after and which kind of decks we're going to pull out for it. So here at Get Commanded, we're not super keen on the uh, number um, sort of scale that people often use for this kind of a discussion where they'll say, you know, oh, my deck's a seven or my deck's an eight or, oh, it's got you know, this many cards in it. So I think it's a five. And we find that those are not really the best descriptions of how a deck is because they, they go wrong in a variety of different ways that I won't go into right now. So rather than using the number scale, we recommend using four questions. And I'm going to be covering the first three questions here today. So the four questions are, how does your deck win? Second question is, how consistently does it win? And the third question is, how does your deck stop its opponents from winning? The fourth question that we ask as well is, um, how much experience have you got playing Commander? How much Commander have you played? How many years have you been playing for? You know, how many decks have you got? That kind of a thing. It's just a really good way of gauging um, how much skill someone might have moving into the game. Because as you would all know, you can give someone a really, really powerful deck. But if they've never played Commander before, it's not going to be that powerful in their hands because they're not going to know the way to win with it, if that makes sense. So, before we get to my rule zero description of my deck using those first three questions, a little bit of context on this deck. So, it's uh, my Katildren Leah uh, Bant spell slingery kind of a deck. Um, so, this deck is the spiritual successor to my Taigam Ojutai Master spell slinger deck. That was a blue white spells deck. And that one was a, itself a successor to my Kaikar Winds Fury deck. That's the um, Jess guy, white, blue, red commander that makes spirits when you cast non-creature spells. So I've tried to build Spellslinger decks a bunch of times is what I'm trying to say. Um, but this is the one that I've actually found the most satisfying because it doesn't do the usual Spellslinger thing of taking extremely long turns, right? We've all been there when someone's storming off and they're taking 25 minutes to resolve just all the different effects they've got. You know, Magecraft is happening, all this kind of stuff. Stuff. It gets boring. I tried to avoid doing that because I don't like being even in the driver's seat when that's happening. Um, and I think I've got it with this particular deck. But I'll go into it a bit more later. But basically, the main reason I like this deck is because it doesn't have spell slinger win cons. It wins through other ways. Now, I'll go into that in a sec. But before that, I should probably tell you what Katilda and Lear even does. So let's do that. Uh, Katilda and Lear is a legendary creature human for green, white, blue. So the color identity is uh, green, white, blue or um, Bant as it's called. It's a 3-3 human that says, whenever you cast a human spell, target instant or sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. The flashback cost is equal to its mana cost. So flashback 
By the way, is a keyword ability that says you may cast this card from your graveyard for its flashback cost, then exile it. So in other words, Catilda and Lear lets you cast humans uh, and when you cast humans, your spells get to come back from the graveyard and you get to use them again and then they're exiled and they're gone forever. Um, but it lets you use all your spells again, so you kind of get this double duty out of all of your cards, but you have to play a bunch of humans. So it's a sort of weird balancing act between humans and spells. So I sort of described this deck as a counterspell-less control deck. There's not a, a single counterspell in this deck, but there's a bunch of sort of weird removal and protection spells so that I can keep a handle on my opponents without counterspelling, because I just find counterspells in control decks tend to get a little bit boring. Um, as with most of the decks that I've built, this was built on a budget, so it only comes to about $150, I think, US all up. Uh, and you can check out my Moxfield um, list, which will be linked in the show notes if you'd like to see this deck in its entirety yourself. But that's not what we're here to do. We're here to talk about rule zero. So the first question that we need to ask is, how does this deck win? So... I said before, it's not like a typical Spellslinger deck. There aren't any Storm cards in here. There's no Aether Flux Reservoir or anything that cares about how many spells I've cast in a turn. You know, it's a spell that literally says Storm on it. There's nothing like that in the deck. Instead, mostly we're going to be going wide. So we're casting a bunch of humans and we're also casting a bunch of spells. And through that, we want to be having a really wide board. And that's how we're going to win. We're going to make a bunch of creatures and attack with them. So ideally, we want effects that make... Um, bodies whenever we cast spells. And the absolute best one in the deck, in my opinion, is got to be Monastery Mentor. For two and a white, this is the 2-2 Human Monk with Prowess. So when you cast non-creature spells, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 white Monk creature token with Prowess. So this is the absolute best token maker in the deck. Every single time I cast a non-creature spell, it doesn't even have to be an instant or sorcery. could be an enchantment, could be an artifact. I'm going to be making a Monk, and then those Monks are going to get bigger when I cast more and more spells. So it's a, uh, it's got that ability to go wide, but also to go tall with the Monks getting bigger and bigger. A very, very different card in the deck that also works for a similar way is Decar Fractal Theorist. Before in a blue, this is a 3-3 human wizard with Magecraft. So this is triggers whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. You create a 0-0 green and blue fractal creature token and you put X plus one counters on it where X is that spell's mana value. Has more text on it that doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, basically you cast a three mana instant, get a three mana creature. Cast a five mana instant, get a five mana creature. Cast a seven mana sorcery, get a seven mana creature. It scales really, really well with the spells that you use and the tokens that it makes can get very, very big and very, very out of hand very, very quickly. Um, that's a really, really good way to go wide and, and have those creatures that are really big. And alternatively, I found the, the most common win con in this deck is increasing devotion. It's basically a one card combo with my commander that I'll go into in a sec. But this is the sorcery for three white white. It creates five one one human creature tokens. And if this spell was cast from a graveyard, create 10 of those tokens instead. It's got flashback for seven white white, which is nine mana, a bit much to pay. But... The really interesting thing you can do with this deck with spells that have flashback already is with your commander, when you cast a human spell, if this is in your graveyard, you can give it flashback again and the flashback cost is now its mana cost. So it has basically got two lines of text on it now. One of them says flashback seven white white and the other one says flashback three white white. Now, really importantly for increasing devotion, 
It cares about whether it was cast from a graveyard. It doesn't care about how much mana you spent to cast it. So if this is in your graveyard, Increasing Devotion, and you cast a human spell and you got Catilda and Leah out, you can give it that extra line of text of um, flashback for three white white. And when you flash it back for, again, five mana for the second time, it's going to make 10 humans still because it's still been cast from a graveyard. Very, very cool little synergy there. I found it's a very good way to uh, just go extremely wide very, very quickly. It's not hard, obviously, to cast a human and then pay five mana to get 10 one ones. Um, but of course, if we're going to be going wide, we're also going to need to pump up the team. It's not usually enough to have a bunch of one ones. You need to make them big in order to end the game. So there's a few different effects I want to highlight here for actually making the team nice and big for going for that lethal uh, swing at the end of the game. One of them is Intrepid Adversary. So this is a 3-1 human scout for one and a white. It has lifelink. And when it enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a white any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many valor counters on Intrepid Adversary. And creatures you control get plus one plus one for each valor counter on Intrepid Adversary. So in other words, you pay one and a white to cast this spell. You pay, again, one and a white any number of times that you would like. This gets that many counters, and your creatures get that much bigger. So if you pay uh, eight mana altogether, so two mana for the creature, and then six mana for uh, three of those valor counters, your creatures just have a static plus three plus three, um, which is going to be a very effective way of ending the game, of course. Uh, very, very good to have that as a static effect as well because it's going to block really well. Your whole team's going to be big just perpetually. So it's going to, yeah, mean you can block some lethal combat damage that's coming at you. And this one's also really good because it scales with the game. So if you get late in the game, you can pay more mana. But if it's early in the game, and you just want a little bit of a buff to get around some sort of effect that's on the table. You can just pay one and a white maybe once or twice and you're still going to get a little bit of a buff from it. Um, very, very cool. Love that card a lot. The next one here, and this one works really well with increasing devotion, is Kyla, Sagardian Emissary. For three green-white, you're going to get a 2-2 human cleric that says, whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one counter on Kyla, Sagardian Emissary. And other humans you control get plus one plus one for each counter on Kyla. So the really good one to do here is to flashback increasing devotion with Kyla on the battlefield because it's going to be 10 humans entering the battlefield, which is going to put 10 plus one counters on Kyla, which means that all of your humans are going to get plus 10 plus 10. Uh, so yes, just by having Kyla and flashing back increasing devotion, you've got a uh, 10 11 11s. That's 110 power from 10 mana. Very, very, very cool. Like that card a lot. And obviously, if you cast more humans, they get bigger and bigger again. Uh, cool card. Bit risky. You got to pay five for it. But if you can make it stick around for a little while, it is going to pay off. Uh, the last pump effect here is a very old fashioned one uh, for a lot of mana, though. It's Kamal, Heart of Crosser. For six green green, it's a legendary creature, human druid. He's a 5-5 five five, and he says, at the beginning of combat, on your turn, creatures you control get plus three plus three and gain trample until end of turn. There's more text on it, but who cares about that? The most important thing is every single combat, oh, beginning of your combat, sorry, I should say, your creatures are going to get plus three plus three and trample. That is 
Uh, straight up, the card overrun. For those of you who don't remember, that's why we call things overrun effects. Uh, it's giving them plus three, plus three and trample. That's going to end the game a lot of the time, which is very cool. It does cost eight mana. It's one of the only two eight mana uh, spells in the entire deck. And for reference, because this is a sort of spells deck and a humans deck that cares about casting lots of spells, um, there are no six or five drops in this deck. Uh, so, oh, sorry, no six or seven mana spells in this deck. So this is very comfortably the top of the curve, but it does mean it's going to take me quite a while to get to it. I am saying, going to say here that I think I should be considering maybe playing just the card overrun here, uh, the five mana sorcery, because I have the ability to recur it again from my graveyard using my commander's ability, which would mean plus six, plus six and trample until end of turn instead of plus three, plus three, which could maybe end the game a bit better. This deck is not so good at actually ending the game, um, I would say, despite having these effects in there. It can do it, and it has done it before, but it might need just a little bit more, um, maybe just a, another card or two that will actually end the game in it. So maybe Overrun might be one I need to take a look at. But that's how the deck wins. The next question we ask in our template, of course, is how consistently does it win? So there's a few things to consider when we're looking at this question. Um, I think speed is going to be one of them. So I will say there are, is no fast mana in the deck whatsoever, not even a soul ring. So there's no crypt, soul ring, any of those sorts of effects in the deck. And there's also no tutors in the deck. So there's nothing, there's no spells that will search for other spells or search for other humans or anything like that in the deck. So uh, in other words, if I'm going to find cards that I need to use, I have to draw them, which is less consistent and a bit slower typically than using... Um, tutors to go and fetch the cards that you need at the time that you need them. So that's one way that it slows down a little bit. I would say as well that just by virtue of the strategy that the deck is trying to use, it is a little bit slow. You need to fill your bin with a bunch of spells, then you need to have some humans, then you need to make some tokens, and then you need to get that overrun effect. There's just a few ifs that you have to be, um, you know, hoops you have to jump through to get to that win. You have to sort of do them in the right order, and if someone interrupts you somewhere along the way by board wiping or something like that, it's going to take you quite a long time to get back to where you needed to be. Um, and a lot of the early game in this deck is just ramping and sculpting a good hand. That said, the ramp is quite good in the deck. It's mostly two mana sorceries that just find lands from your deck and put them onto the battlefield tapped, rampant growth, that kind of a thing, because I can recur them with humans. Um, so that's, those are very, very good ramp pieces though, and, and not to be um, slept on for sure. And there's plenty of cheap card draw spells, like cards like Preordain and that kind of thing that are just going to look at a few cards, pick the best one and put it into your hand. And when you stack a lot of those on top of each other, you tend to have the best cards in your hand a good chunk of the time. All that said, so considering all those different factors, I would say this deck is fairly slow and it was pretty specifically built for very casual pods. It's sort of supposed to sit around a pre-con level um, and I think it's basically there. It's probably a little bit more consistent than a pre-con, but maybe the win cons are slightly worse. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe it sort of balances out to roughly pre-con level. Um, it fits in pretty well at a very casual pod. Anyone who's, who's sort of pl also playing a pretty slow game plan or takes a little while to get set up, anything like that, it's going to sit in well at a pod like that. For reference, uh, those of you who may remember from a few episodes back, I kept a game log of 50 of my Commander games. This was the game, the deck I played the most times. I think I played it seven times in the 50 games that I played and tracked. Uh, I only won, no, never mind. 
I lost every one of those games. I think I've only played it about two times outside of the game log, and I think I've only won one of those. So if my uh, memory is correct, that means I've played the game no- the deck nine times, and I've won once and lost eight times. So <laughs> that should tell you that it's, uh, yeah, it's going to struggle a bit for consistency, and it's definitely a deck that belongs at casual tables. Now, the third question that we ask in our template is, how does this deck stop its opponents from winning? So, I'll say right off the bat, there aren't any of the really salt-inducing sorts of effects that you might see uh, mentioned in this question, like stacks pieces or land destruction or just anything that generally induces a lot of salt. We're just playing regular old removal. Uh, but it does, in terms of stopping my opponents from winning, like I said, this is a deck that doesn't play counter spells, but does have some weird answers to questions to try and slow down my opponents while I construct the perfect board. Um, so I'll highlight some of those cards that do tend to answer um, people's problems pretty well. Dromoka's Command is the first one here. For green and a white, is an instant that says choose two, and that's got four modes. The first mode is... Prevent all damage, target instant or sorcery spell would deal this turn. The second is target player sacrifices an enchantment. Or put a plus one counter on target creature. Or target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. So this is a card that's never amazing, but is also never bad. You can typically choose from those four uh, categories there at least a couple that are pretty good for right now. If someone's got only one enchantment and you make them sacrifice it, that's a really, really good enchantment removal spell. If someone's trying to cast a big burn spell to remove your board like a Blasphemous Act, you can respond by preventing all the damage that would be dealt by Blasphemous Act. That's a really good one. I've used that a couple of times. Um, And otherwise, it just fight it lets you fight stuff that's also can be good removal if you've got a, a nice big board if you've got kyla for instance which gets bigger um i highlighted that before it gets bigger when you have more humans entering the battlefield that's a good one to fight one of your opponent's creatures it's just a really good one to have open for two mana you're basically never going to be sad to cast one or more of those modes um the next one i wanted to highlight is another modal spell this is maybe my favorite magic card ever Uh, It's Dawn Charm. For one and a white, you'll get an instant that says, choose one. It's got three modes. First mode is prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. The second is regenerate target creature. And the third is counter target spell that targets you. I know, I'm a liar. I read the words counter target spell in there, (laughs) Um, but it has to target me in order to counter that spell. So it will counter like a burn spell or, um, you know, one of those sorts of effects that says target player sacrifices a creature. Uh, It would counter that, but otherwise it's not going to counter anything. It has to target me specifically, but mostly it's just really good to have open for one and a white, you're going to either fog, which feels pretty good if someone attacks you with a bunch of creatures, you just prevent all the damage that they're going to deal. Um, regenerating a creature is going to be really good. It's going to be a good way to protect Katilda and Leah. And yeah, you're basically, again, it's a good one to have open for two mana that's not a counter spell, uh, well, kind of a counter spell. <laughs> um, but you're always going to have something that you'd like to do with that mana, I suspect. Now, the third spell I wanted to highlight here in terms of stopping my opponents from winning is Harsh Mercy. For two and a white, you'll get a sorcery that says, each player chooses a creature type. Destroy all creatures that aren't of a type chosen this way. They can't be regenerated. Um, So this is a three mana board wipe, but with some hoops to jump through because 
It can be very one-sided. If I choose human and, you know, everyone else chooses whatever creature type their commander is, um, everything else gets destroyed unless people's things share types, which can happen, can get weird in that way. Um, It can blow up pretty much the whole board. It'll never touch my board because I'll choose humans, which is very, very cool. But the thing is, a lot of the time, if someone's like, at the time when you want to board wipe, There's usually one or more players who have a bunch of creatures and they're usually the same creature type. You know, if you're playing against a goblin deck, someone's got a bunch of goblins. Or if someone's playing a token deck, they've probably got a bunch of sapperlings because they've been playing, um, you know, that creature that makes a sapperling every upkeep. Uh, Tend to shoot dryad, you know, that kind of a thing. Those tends to be the answers, the, the, um, the problems you're trying to answer with your board wipe. And if someone just chooses sapperling as creature type, they just keep all of that stuff. Um, this is also a card that's really bad against other decks that have humans in them. Um, I did a little bit of a stats. I, I prepared for this episode a tiny bit by reading the command. And um, in terms of other commanders out there, there are 717 uh, creatures that are human and can be your commander. So there's a lot of human commanders running around out there. And of the 100 most played commanders uh, of the last month on EDH Rec, 35 of them are human. So a good chunk of the time, this is not going to blow up someone's um, commander, about a third of the time, 35 out of 100. Um, So yeah, I think I will probably end up subbing this card out for an austere command or something else that sort of board wipes and leaves my board, deals with other people's boards, but doesn't um, deal with nothing, which Harsh Mercy sometimes can. Um, but I might need to do additional testing for Harsh, Harsh Mercy and see if it works. It is a three mana board wipe that never touches my board. So it is pretty cool in that way. Well, this is not my fastest, most powerful, or even most consistent deck, but it is comfortably one of the most fun. There are several avenues to victory, and all of them are paved with fun micro-decisions that involve some of my favourite and most versatile creatures and spells. It sits at a really comfy low power level, only a little higher than a precon, but really rewards clever sequencing and decisions. This is one of very few decks I own that is fun to lose with, which is a really good thing, because this deck loses a lot. (laughs) So, Space Commanders, Command Received. And to the listeners out there, do you feel commanded? What do you think of my Katilda and Lear deck? And you can, of course, find my Moxfield profile linked in the show notes where you can check out the full deck yourself if you're interested in uh, building your own deck or just seeing more of it. And of course, don't forget to check out our Patreon page, which is linked in the show notes for more ways to support the Get Commanded podcast directly. There's lots of really cool things on offer there, including we can evaluate your decks. So if you want to build your own Katilda and Lear deck and have me take a look at it, you can do that and uh, just send us a little bit of money and we'll do that for you. Uh, We would like to thank our patrons, Stella Tam, Fuzzy and Bottomless Potamus and an extra special shout out to Fletcher Cutting who supports us in the Space Commander tier. You're the best. And thank you again to Palms Off Gaming, who sponsor this podcast. They make some really, really fantastic deck boxes, sleeves, binders, and basically any gaming accessory you could ever need for your card game needs. Uh, you can check them out at palmsoffgaming.com.au forward slash hashtag get commanded. And if you use that link, you'll receive a 10% discount on your purchase and you'll be supporting the Get Commanded podcast at the same time. That's palmsoffgaming.com.au forward slash Hashtag get commanded. Uh, now, we're supposed to planeswalk here at the end of the episode uh, out of magic. I think I'd like to planeswalk 
back to Earth if the space commanders will let me. Oh, I feel a funny beam. Oh! oh, okay. All right, I'm back. I'm back in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, this looks like my room. Things seem to be normal. I think I'm out of there. So um, thanks for sticking with me while I did that. Um, I would like to just mention briefly here that uh, James will be back from Europe for next week's episode. So I know there's been episodes coming out for the last three weeks, even though he's been gone, for those of you who know James personally. Um, But those have been recorded well in advance. But thankfully, when he comes back, the episodes will just be episodes from now (laughs) or, you know, five days prior or whatever, uh, instead of three weeks in the past. So yes, we've got that to look forward to. I'm looking forward to having him back and seeing him again. Uh, We'll see you next Friday for another transmission from the Space Commanders. Goodbye, Commander players. Bye.